the microphone and letting the kids say whatever they're going to say into it. Braver than I am. How often do you think of heaven? How often is the reality of any aspect of heaven, how often does that come to mind? Does, uh, does that cross your, your mental pathways? Heaven. Uh, hopefully it's the goal uh, that we all have. We're all hoping to enter that someday. Uh, be kind of pointless if that wasn't your goal. Um, why would you be here? Uh, so I hope that is the future hope you have for yourself, for your family, for all that you know. Um, but how often do we actually think about it? Uh, the song that we sang uh, this morning and the title of today's sermon is it's all about being overcomers of this world. I think it would benefit us, though, to, to ask ourselves a very honest and real question if we're going to be talking about uh, being overcomers of the world. Do we desire to be overcomers in this world or of this world? There's a big distinction between the two of those. See, the world encourages us to be overcomers in this world, to have success in this world, to, to have the, the car, the home, the family, the job, the fun. Um, to go on the right vacations, to have the nicest this, to have the nicest that, to, to whatever the goal is, it's of this world. And that's kind of what the world, because the world uh, doesn't believe in the afterlife, doesn't believe that there is a heaven and hell, so obviously it would make sense for them to want to be overcomers in this world. That way they had success and people would know their name and they would be important or their, and their neighbors would envy their, their landscaping or their flowers or their car or their family. And, and so we can tend to live in a way that says, yeah, what, what happens in this world is what's of most importance to me. The way, uh, and, and we know, can evaluate that very easily by saying, okay, what, where do we invest our time? Where do we invest our treasures? Where do we invest the best of what we have? Is it for the eternal life or does it more reflect, ah, it's about all about this world. That's where I'm investing because that's where I want to be an overcomer. Do we desire to have success in this world or success beyond this world? That when we enter heaven, the rewards that God would offer us or uh, the joy that our entrance into heaven would bring. I, I truly believe, I, I know uh, in the Bible it only mentions that there are basically two responses to God uh, when we stand before Him one day in judgment and it's either enter or depart from me. But I, I have to believe that there will be some that when He says enter, the joy of that because of how we lived our life to see his kingdom advanced. It's just going to be different from others where it's just, come on in. There wasn't much lived out. Yes, you knew me as Savior, but you didn't live like that. I don't know about you, but I'd love to be that person that I know I lived my life for eternity, that I was an overcomer of this world, whether I was an overcomer in this world or not. Uh, not nearly as concerned about worldly success and, and the big cars or, the, or the, the perfect family or whatever it is that has you uh, focused and where you want to be successful. We know that when we stand before God in that moment, it won't matter what we built, 
for ourselves in this world. That's not what's going to matter. Our bank account will be meaningless. Our home will be meaningless. Our landscaping will be meaningless. Uh, All the vacations we went on will be meaningless. When we stand before Him, all of the things that we tend to prioritize will all of a sudden mean absolutely nothing when we stand in His presence. Yet many professing believers frequently take, tell God that He needs to take a back seat in their life while they build their kingdom because they've got things they've got to do. They've got to be successful in this world. They want to be known as overcomers in this world far more than they want to be recognized as overcomers of this world. And I think we have to be honest with that truth this morning. Where, where are we more interested in being an overcomer of or in this world because if all we're ever interested in is to be successful in this world then the sermon is completely meaningless to us it'll have no effect on the way we live our life god's word in first john chapter 5 won't mean much to us because that's not what we're interested in maybe someday If we get around to all of our kingdom, then we can address God's kingdom. But let me tell you, that day will never come. Our kingdom always needs more building. Any of you who own a home, uh, you know that, you know, after the first year or two, everything's great and you never have to do anything else with your house ever again, right? No, something's always broken. Something's always messed up in the house. There's always a to-do list. And our kingdom is no different. And so if we wait until our kingdom is perfect equilibrium and it requires no more of our attention or focus, it's never going to happen. So let's open 1 John chapter 5. Let's take a look at what God's Word has to say about being overcomers of this world. Starting in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So, if we love God, if we love God, we will love fellow believers. And uh, I want you to notice the lack of exclusions here. It doesn't say everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever is nice to them or whoever it's convenient to love or whoever doesn't do really bad things to them or whoever says hi to them in the hallway or whoever they don't have a significant grudge against. There's no exclusions here. If you love God, you will love believers. There will be a compulsion. There will be a desire there to want to love believers. And yeah, you might say, well, I don't have to love them because they're not a believer. Well, Go back and look and listen to some of the other sermons we've talked about in this. Uh, he's specifically focusing on the family of God here, but uh, he makes it pretty clear, John does in this entire book, that, uh, the, that hate and eternal life cannot coexist in the heart of a person. So, um, no, it's not okay to hate somebody just because they don't know Jesus. But as we read this, do we really think that God put this in here not knowing that church people would be difficult to love. That there would be somebody in the church who was just very difficult to love. Uh, and maybe it's your pastor, who knows. Uh, but do we really think that God wasn't aware of that? Do we think that God didn't know that there would be people that would significantly hurt us, bother us, 
uh, great against us, do things against our family that we could then hold a grudge about and say, well, God doesn't, you, you know, and I've had people tell me this, well, you just don't know this person. I don't care if I know him or not. God wrote this, not me. I don't have to understand what that person did to you. I don't need to understand the hurt that you've experienced. God does, and he hurts more than you do over the hurt that you've received, and yet he still commands us to love. Not just those who are convenient to love, but all people we are called to love. Because it's not our love we're called to give out. It's not our love we're called to utilize. It's His. And if His love can forgive murderers and, and, and the horrible sins of this world, there's, there's nobody that's got a list of sin that Jesus says, okay, that's too much. If He can love like that, and we're supposed to love people with His love, then there's nobody you can't love. Unless you don't know Jesus and you're trying to love with your love. Then yeah, oh man, it's going to be difficult. You are going to hate some people and it's going to be easy to hate them and it's going to feel good to hate them because you don't know Jesus. He makes it impossible to harbor hatred. That's what John makes so clear in his word. Whatever extenuating circumstances we have which we feel gives us the right to withhold love from somebody. God knew about it because he knows everything and still said that every believer loves every believer. That's it. No footnotes, no parentheses, no exclusions. This family here, the love that we have for one another should make the world confused. They should wonder, what is the deal? I know some of the stuff that's happened. This is not a huge town. Dubois is a small town. Word gets around. People know about stuff. And it should make the world wonder, why do we still put up with each other? Instead, the world comes into the church at times, and what they feel is hypocrisy, what they feel is bitterness, it's like, man, that group of people is, they don't like each other. That should never happen. I mean, the Word of God tells us the exact opposite, opposite should be true. That when the world experiences the church, our love for one another should change their life. Amen. Not our bitterness toward each other. Not our ability to hold grudges for, from generation to generation to generation. I mean, our church has turned on 100 years old in two years. I didn't know if you knew that. That's a lot of grudges. Or, or, that's a lot of forgiveness that has been lived out, displayed, and modeled. And I know that both of those, unfortunately, are true. I know that this church has a history of forgiveness and, and that there are stories that we could tell for days on end. But unfortunately, the other side exists too because the enemy has got his foot in the door. And he will continue to fan the flame of bitterness as long as he possibly can so that we are not overcomers of this world. Verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. No, Christianity is not about legalism. It's not about trying to follow every little rule and, and check off every little box and pointing the finger at everybody who's not doing the same and, and 
considering ourselves more worthy, more holy, more righteous just because we think we obey more rules than other people. But if we love God, we will obey all of his commandments, not because we have to. Again, I think we talked about this last week. It's not out of fear that we obey his commandments. It's not because we fear punishment that we obey his commandments. We obey his commandments because we want to. We desire it. It, it becomes what we want to do. Uh, to me, a, a similar concept is when you get married. Uh, before, uh, I always say, I, I think, getting married is one of the biggest highlighters to our selfishness that exists, other than becoming parents. Uh, that's, a, that's a whole other level. Um, but you get married, you realize, like, man, I was really selfish before I got married. I didn't realize it. I didn't realize how much I love to live for myself. And, and before you get married, you don't, you don't love to put somebody else before you all the time. You don't love to uh, put your wants, desires, needs, dreams aside for somebody else, but then you get married and all of a sudden you want to do that. It becomes a desire. You enjoy putting your needs, putting your desires, putting your stuff to the side and, and, and catering to someone else. If you're in a healthy marriage, hopefully you like to do that. And so it is when we come to know Christ, we, we want to obey his commandments. We wanted nothing to do with that before we knew him. But then we, we come to know him, and all of a sudden we actually want to do the, the things that he commands us to do. We want to obey his, his word, not just the ones we like, but all of it. We want to obey all of his word. Next verse, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Those of us who know Christ as Savior desire to live a holy life it's actually on our radar it's actually one of uh, the desires is not just to check the right boxes but to live a holy life therefore the commandments of god they're not burdensome uh, again similar uh, if you're in a marriage a healthy marriage and your spouse asks you to do something um, not all the time but there should be times where you're like you know what i actually want to do that I want to bring joy to my wife or um, to your spouse. You should want to because you know it's something they desire because it's something they've asked you either to do or, in my case, a lot of times to not do uh, because I can be annoying. Uh, so maybe it's something we're not doing because we love our spouse, but we want to do the things that God has commanded us to do, the things in his word, because we love him. If you've walked with Jesus long enough, you learn even if you think a commandment is outdated or incorrect or burdensome, it is always in our benefit to obey His commandments. Always. Nothing good ever comes from disobeying God. Nothing good ever comes with uh, making up excuses as to why God's Word no longer applies to our life. Or uh, I love when people try to use like the year to say like we don't need to obey this certain uh, commandment of god come on it's 2022 yeah okay so his words was true when it was written just as true as, as it is today none of his commandments have lessened he commanded us to do something we do it so for the believer obeying his commandments becomes refreshing it becomes a joy as we obey his commandments even when it goes against what we what our flesh desires we've learned to say no to our flesh because uh it's wrong, and it never leads to our benefit to obey our flesh. Instead, we obey God, and it's always refreshing to us. It always brings life. It brings joy. It brings what we truly desire 
when we obey his commandments. Verse 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. There will come a day, as we've already talked about, where we all stand before God. On that day, so much of what we think is a priority now won't matter. Now, I know when we just did communion, my guess is that some of us, when we talk about the root of bitterness, when we talk about grudges, somebody comes to your mind. For some of us, I, I'm going to just guess that's still true. Uh, and we keep trying to convince ourselves it's not a big deal, but I want you to imagine for a moment standing before God. And he says to you, what was the deal with John? I mean, I brought that to your mind time after time after time. Why? Why did you ignore that? Why didn't you just forgive and move on from that? I mean, really, do we really see ourselves trying to argue with God and say, but you don't know what he did in the face of holiness, a broken, sinful person telling God that he just needs to understand brokenness. He needs to understand sin and how they offended us. And I feel like all God has to do is like point at Jesus and that should just squash the argument for all of us, no matter what it is. That day when we stand before him, all the things that we considered to be of unimportance or so important in our lives, it'll all just fade away in a moment as God welcomes the overcomers of this world and sends away those who are far more interested in being overcomers in the world. Verse 5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The overcomers are the ones who believe in Jesus and are welcomed into eternal life. Uh, if you've been with us through our First John series, you know John has gone over and over and over and over this concept. And actually, in the next few verses, we'll get to one of the main reasons why he has mentioned this so many times that you have to believe that Jesus is who he said he is to be a believer. But those are the, uh, the people who overcome this world, who truly believe that Jesus is who he said he is, not just in theory, but in the way they live their life it shows that they believe Jesus is who he said he is. Those who live for the world, instead of overcoming it, will be sent to eternal separation from God. So I, I, I believe the question of the day, are you an overcomer of this world? If Jesus returns before the sermon ends, do you stand before him and say, yep, I'm an overcomer of this world. I lived to overcome this world because I lived for you and for eternity. The way I spent my money, the way I invested my time, the way I loved the people of that world showed that I was focused on you and your kingdom. Or are we trying to add God to our worldly participation? Are we trying to be an overcomer in this world and say, yeah, but I'm just going to slap the Jesus sticker on that thing and everything's going to be good. I don't know about you, but I've experienced a driver or two who I had some choice words for, the, their, their driving style. Uh, and every now and then, they have like a Jesus sticker on their car. 
I don't know about you, but I just think that's the worst idea in the world. Because let's be real, I'm going to cut somebody off at some point or another. I'm cutting somebody off. Uh, I'm going to do something that's not worthy of uh, of a Jesus sticker. But uh, I experience in that moment the reality that just because you slap a Jesus sticker on it doesn't make it any better. Does it make them a better driver? Does it make me love them more than the last guy who cut me off? Uh, just putting Jesus' name on something doesn't immediately make it all better. And some of us are trying to live for this world. We're trying to be successful in this world. We're trying to uh, advance our kingdoms. And we think because we th- slapped a Jesus sticker on our kingdom that it makes it his. His kingdom is his kingdom. And ours has nothing. Our, our kingdom can't hold a candle to his. And when we prioritize his kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we're called to do. Too many people profess to believe in Jesus, have lives which look nothing different from the world. They watch the same shows. They go to the same places. They engage in the same activity. The only thing that's different is where they spend their occasional Sunday. And man, that's not going to do it. When we stand before Jesus, we stand before God someday, and he asks us, I don't think he actually asks us why he should let us into heaven, but if he did, well, you know, on the occasion, I would spend time in church. That's not going to do it. And those lives that look the same as the world, watching the same shows, going to the same places, doing the same things, slap a Jesus sticker on it, they're going to be very disappointed that day when they stand before God because they're going to realize that sticker didn't, didn't save them. It's a belief. It says, who are the overcomers of this world? Those that have the faith in Jesus as God, as the Savior of this world. And if you believe that Jesus came to this world, died on the cross for your sins, then you live a different life. The way you live, the way you act, the way you talk to people, the way you forgive people, it's completely different. And it doesn't make sense to the world. And they're going to call you crazy. They're going to call you stupid. They're going to call you all kinds of names. And that's okay because they just don't get it. They don't know Jesus like you know Jesus. Verse 6. It's kind of where John takes a turn, and, and this is where a lot of what he has talked about in his letter kind of cu- comes to culmination. It's also one of the verses I've, I, I think has been very rare that I've heard good teaching on. Verse 6 says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Now, Hopefully, you've been doing what I encourage us all to do, which is reading the chapter that we're going to be studying throughout the week. Uh, I encourage you every day this week, continue to read 1 John chapter 5, because we're going to be finishing out chapter 5 next week. Um, As you've read this, this has probably kind of struck you as like, this is strange. What is it saying? I don't fully grasp what it's saying here. So in order to do the next few verses justice, we are going to need to crack this can of worms open uh, and... Like I said before, I haven't myself personally heard a really solid teaching on what this is talking about here. Uh, I've heard a lot of man-made theories and ideas. Uh, It's pretty easy, uh, if you've ever heard false teachers, it's pretty easy to take some verses, to take some concepts and tie them to other spiritual concepts, and, and it makes good sense, and so it sounds good. And I've heard a lot of that, but 
it doesn't actually take that much study. If you, if you have your own softwares or your own uh, commentaries or, or study materials, I encourage you to look this up. Back, back up what I'm saying with your own study. Don't just ever take what I say for granted uh, that I'm right because I'm not always right. But I want to give you some of the details around, first, first of all, First John's whole letter or John's whole first letter and why John has been beating this drum so hard throughout this entire book about believing that Jesus is who he said he is, that, that, that only those are true believers. <clears throat> in the Ephesian church, as well as in other surrounding areas, there was a man named Serinthus who had a following of people, and he taught that the person of Jesus was not God. Now, that alone was nothing new. The early church experienced a lot of false teachers trying to claim that Jesus wasn't actually God. That, uh, so there's a lot of different heresies around that. But, but what's specific about this guy's heresy, and it actually became a, a pretty widespread heresy, was uh, they believed that at the baptism of Jesus, the Christ, meaning like this spirit, this, this aspect of God, comes down and dwelled inside the body of Jesus at the baptism. Uh, and if you, uh, if th- there would be some people still alive who were there to witness what happened at Jesus' baptism. So they, maybe they saw the dove come down. They saw the, the tongue of fire. They, saw, they heard the voice of God. The rump, so they knew something very powerful happened in that moment. And so what they claimed, well, that was the Christ coming down into, into the body of the human man, Jesus, and then before the crucifixion, the Christ left Jesus, who was once again now only human, which is why he could die. That was this heretical belief. Everything about verse 6 completely and purposely refutes this false teaching. This is one of the biggest things John was going after in his letter. Because first, John refers to Jesus as Jesus Christ. Not as Jesus and the Christ or Jesus plus the Christ, but Jesus Christ. He puts them together. He makes it one person. He then points out uh, that Jesus and the Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, as one person came by water, which represents baptism, and the blood, which represents the cross. John is going after this. He, he continues, he reiterates it again in verses 7 and 8. He says, for there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. The Holy Spirit, the baptism, and the cross all agree that Jesus was the Christ. He doesn't just indwelled by the Christ, he is the Christ. From the moment he was born till beyond when he died on the cross. This is a clear, clear teaching against this heresy that the, the Christ was only on this earth in the body of Jesus for a short period of time. John is saying, nope, not true. The water and the blood testify. And, it's, and the Holy Spirit is the only one that can obviously speak because the other two were events. And so he's the one that testifies about this to every person, every believer. The Holy Spirit testifies to these truths that Jesus was Jesus from the moment he was conceived beyond his death. He was God and man, 100% God, 100% man. Doesn't make any sense to the human mind, but it was true, and that's what John's going after here. If you have an old King James Bible, 
Yours might have the additional uh, verse or addition that was added uh, really only a couple hundred years ago that says that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are, are there and they all agree or something like that. Um, but that doesn't belong in there and we know that. So that's what is going on when, it, when John's talking about the water and the blood is he's using these, these symbolic events to say that Jesus was God. He was who he said he was from conception beyond his death. If you remember, multiple times in his letter, John mentions it's only those who believe this who are true believers, who know God, who are going to enter heaven. He says it many different ways in his letter. Verse 9, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Again, John specifically going after this. He's saying, don't just listen to what people say. This guy, Serenthus, whatever, he's wrong. Don't, just because a man says it doesn't mean anything in comparison to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and this verse, I think, has more truth for us today than we realize because we are far more likely to want to listen to another podcast, to listen to another sermon, to listen to another teacher than we are to get alone, get quiet, and hear from the voice of God. And that's, that's a problem. That should be our main desire. Uh, everything that man says, uh, it, the best, best case scenario is we're just backing up what God has already said. And that's my prayer every Sunday. God, help me to tell everybody what you have said and not get in the way and not mess it up too much. That's my goal. That's my prayer for myself as a pastor uh, when I preach a sermon. But man, his voice is way better than mine. That's why I encourage you to be reading the chapter every day before you hear the sermon because I want him to have first dibs at speaking. I want him to speak to you first regarding his word. And hopefully, if I'm paying attention to him, I'm just going to back up what he's already told you this week because that's going to have way more effect in your life than just listening to what I have to say for, uh, well, I was going to say 30 minutes, but let's be honest, 45 to an hour. His voice should take priority in our lives. And we have just become a people who are far more interested in the latest pastor, the latest evangelist, the latest whatever charismatic speaker that has something to say than we are to get alone with Jesus and hear from the voice of the Holy Spirit. Man, when he speaks something, it is different. And we should know that. We should feel that. That should be a regular practice and discipline of our life. Human teaching always takes second place to God. And God will and wants to speak to us through His Holy Spirit. Anybody who tells you that the Holy Spirit doesn't actually speak to people is a liar. I wish there was a nicer word for it, but that's the truth. God does speak. Why would the Holy Spirit be known as the counselor if all he does is sit there and listen to us talk? That's not a very good counselor. It's nice if they can listen, but they should give us some counsel too. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit, when he speaks, will always affirm Jesus as the Son of God. And if that Spirit doesn't, then that's not the Holy Spirit. That's something else. Verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. 
What he's saying here is you have the testimony in you because you have what in you? The Holy Spirit. That is the testimony that Jesus is who he said he is. And John's really doubling down on these false teachers here. John isn't allowing this to be discussed as just a difference of opinions. He's not giving these false teachers the, the ability to just be like, well, you know, I know that John disagrees with what we're teaching here, but really it's the same thing, same kind of concept. I've heard uh, people from Jehovah Witnesses to uh, people who believe uh, the Catholic faith. Well, we all really believe pretty much the same thing. Oh, no, we don't. It's very different <laughs> what we believe uh, it's drastically different. And these false teachers, my guess is, they're trying to do that same thing with John. John's saying to deny the testimony that God of God is to call God a liar. And they might be willing to argue with John, but when they're being labeled as, as calling God a liar, that's a, that's a big line in the sand. It's no longer John versus the false teachers. It's God versus the false teachers who are claiming that God is a liar. Verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It is through Christ that we have eternal life. This should be testimony enough for every believer. If you have eternity dwelling in you, if the Holy Spirit is there, then you have that testimony. And you know that to have the Son is to have life. And those of you that have been saved by God and that Holy Spirit's in there, and when you talk about what God has done for you, you can't help but smile. You can't help but feel the joy that comes with remembering what you were before you knew him and who you were after. That moment that things changed, man, that, that was a big deal. And it brings joy to our hearts. That's the testimony that Jesus is who he said he is. And John makes it clear, to be without the Son is to not have life. Some of us wonder why it feels like our life is so dull and so drab and how there's no passion and there's, there's none of the stuff we talk about, there's a good chance you don't know Jesus. And I say that lovingly, not mockingly or, 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 to, or to cast shame, but so that you would wake up and realize, maybe I don't have him. Maybe I just know about Jesus. Maybe I got a lot of really good teaching on who he is, and so I feel like I know him, but I don't know him. So you can read a lot about somebody. One of the things I had to do to get ordained is to read about this guy named A.B. Simpson, who was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Great, great guy. If you ever get a chance to read anything about him, uh, some pretty powerful stuff. I read so much about him, I felt like I knew the guy, but I didn't know him. I had no relationship with him. And some of us just need to be honest with ourselves. That might be the case between us and Jesus. We know a lot about him, and we even have an appreciation for him but we don't know him. None of this could be possible, John is saying, if Jesus was just a regular human who was indwelled by a spirit. Because how good are we doing with that, everybody? We're all humans indwelled by a spirit of God, and guess what? We fail miserably a lot. Jesus wasn't just that. He was God. 
That's what John is saying. So what? So what can we take away from what we learned in 1 John 5 so far? I think, first off, is the importance of faith cannot be overemphasized, John is saying. To have faith that God is who He said He is, there's nothing that comes second to that because those that have that faith are the overcomers of this world. We must believe that Jesus is who He said He is. We will never enter heaven if we believe that Jesus was just a good teacher. It's not possible to enter heaven with that belief because we don't have faith that Jesus was who He said He is. We should ask ourselves if we truly want and desire to follow God's commandments. Is that desire there? Now, the execution, probably going to be a bit shaky. But is the desire there? Not the fear of punishment, not the fear of exclusion from a community, but is the genuine desire there to follow the commandments of God? Or is there more a desire to just pat ourselves on the back for obeying the ones that fit our preferred lifestyle? Well, yeah, I obey the commandments of God because I obey the ones that are easy to, to obey. But the ones that I don't agree with, ah, you know, I don't know, cultural misunderstanding, uh, it's outdated. I don't have to obey those ones. Each of us should have assurance in our hearts of eternal life. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't doubt. Some, sometimes, man, I, I feel like I'm so messed up. I'm like, do I actually know Jesus? Because I keep getting this so wrong. But there should be an assurance that goes beyond that doubt that says, I know him. Because as you get alone with God and you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and He's speaking to you, it should be very clear, okay, I'm yours. I know you. The Holy Spirit brings that through our belief in Jesus Christ. We find ourselves constantly doubting, constantly wondering if we actually have a relationship with Jesus. There may be a simple answer. We just don't know Jesus. We know a lot about Him. We can teach other people about him even, but we don't know him. And I think the final question is, will we be overcomers in this world or of this world? What will the way that we live our week, our year, the rest of our life, what will that show that we more desire to be overcomers of this world or overcomers in this world? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, how precious it is to have the testimonies of, of people like John writing to us and, and telling us what it looks like to live a life completely devoted to you. Lord, forgive us when we get it all tangled up, Lord. Forgive us when we put our kingdom before yours and think that somehow that's righteous. Somehow we're doing the right thing by slapping a Jesus sticker on our kingdom and calling it yours, but really living for ourselves, living for our own pride, living for our own uh, pleasure and success. Lord, would you help us to reorient ourselves today? Would our hearts be pointed toward you? Lord, uh, I pray if there are people watching or in this room who, who genuinely just don't know you as their Savior, would you impress upon them that reality? Would they, for the first time, be honest with themselves and ask you to change their life? Would they repent of their sin and ask you to enter their life and be their Savior? Lord, I pray that we would each live 
as people who know you. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you make yourself present? Would we make ourselves available to hear your voice? Would we consider your voice to be of far greater importance than any human being on this earth? Would we intentionally set aside time to be with you, to hear from you? Thank you, Lord, for how patient you are with us. Thank you that you loved us, you died on the cross for us, and that we can live for eternity, not just once we enter eternity, but we can live for that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have a great day, and don't forget the, there will be ushers in the back with plates for Benevolent Fund as you leave the building or the room.